Lakeisha Gunter, and you're listening to Roar, an energetic and enlightening weekly podcast that will help you achieve more. This weekly infusion of candid insights, indispensable lessons, inspiring stories, and success strategies for living your best life now will help you on your journey to making your dreams a reality. My experience as a Fortune 50 business and tech executive has led me to meet some pretty amazing people. On Roar, I share real talks with top executives, thought leaders, luminaries, authors, and entrepreneurs who are passionate about building the next generation of inspired, empowered, game-changing leaders. Are you ready to fear less and move into your dream life? Let's Roar. Welcome to Roar. I'm your host, Lakeisha Gunter. So what do I mean by ROAR? The beauty of ROAR is that it's both an acronym. The acronym stands for Reflection, Opportunity, Action, and Relationships. And it's an action. We are all born with it. A hidden power inside of us. It is a fire that is often suppressed by fear. That power is your ROAR, and it's waiting to be unleashed. Today, I'm excited to talk about learning to thrive in a disruptive economy and how to spark your passion. My guest today, Lisa Thee, knows all about how to pivot a successful corporate career from success to significance into a business that is profitable and mission-focused. Lisa is the CEO and founder of a safety-focused startup and has helped scale a leading cybersecurity AI company to a $40 million valuation. Today, she is leading Launch Consulting's Data for Good practice, helping the world's most innovative healthcare, technology, and gaming companies to accomplish ambitious goals, including digital safety, anti-toxicity, upskilling programs for diverse populations, and applying AI and machine learning for innovation in healthcare. In addition, she's an advisory board member for Engineered Medical Solutions, Marketplace Risk, and Humoxa. She's a board of directors member for Three Strands Global Foundation and the Sacramento Entrepreneurship Academy. Let's welcome Lisa to the show. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to being here. I tell you, I've been looking forward to this all day long. Man, I tell you, my audience is going to be thrilled to hear from you and all the amazing things we have to talk about today. Um, Obviously, we're going to talk about really how to thrive in a disruptive economy and really spark your passion and really make the move towards the things that really make you come alive. And I know you've been able to do that in your career. And so we're going to talk about that. But before we do, if it's okay with you, I'd love to share you with the audience and have them just learn a little bit more about your background, where you're from, and maybe who were some of your biggest influences growing up. Yeah, I'm happy to share some information about myself. So I grew up in the metro Detroit area, so Midwestern born and raised. And in my family, there was a pretty clearly defined path to success. My parents had me trained to talk about being an engineer by the age of four and where I was going to go to school. And (laughs) at the time I was on board because I thought that I got to go to the University of Michigan in order to learn how to drive trains. I thought I'd get a cool hat. That sounded really, really interesting to be a train driver. But I learned as I got older, an engineer meant something a little bit broader than that. And I started my career in the auto industry. Given where I grew up, that makes a lot of sense. I had done five internships with General Motors or their suppliers by the time that I graduated from college. And it was almost a given that I would continue down that path. But then I took a right-hand turn and took the opportunity to move to California for a job in the tech industry. 
in more of a business capacity. And that shifted the direction of where things went from there. Wow. Thanks for that. So wait a minute. So growing up in Detroit, I get it. Auto industry, really, everyone is employed in the auto industry. And so you're saying at the age of four, you knew you were going to be an engineer. Yeah. My my dad had worked for GM for 30 years. My mom raised me that I was going to be an engineer at, at GM and that was the plan. And so I I had a pretty, pretty clearly defined path in front of me. But the only catch in that path was it wasn't necessarily what sparked my passion. It might be a little bit more about what my parents thought would be steady and successful life to have and be independent. Wow. So I know we talked a little bit about something that you were pretty passionate about growing up, and that was figure skating. Yes. So my mother had the heart to break it to me at the age of 40 that I was high on passion, but low on talent for the sport. Okay. <laughs> um, you gotta love moms. <laughs> I think it was really sweet that she kept it for me all these years. Apparently I was un- unflappable in my excitement for it because every competition I would get a fourth or fifth place ribbon, depending on if there were four or five participants. And I just chalked that up to stage fright. I didn't actually believe I wasn't that great, but One thing I really loved about that sport that I think really has helped me along my career path, especially into entrepreneurship, is that it's the kind of thing that you have to fail a hundred times before you succeed. Uh, Mm -hmm. When I was trying a new jump, when I was trying a new spin, I'd end up on my bottom a lot more than I'd end up in a graceful landing position for the first hundred times or so. But after that, you learn that it's persistence and drive and tenacity that get you to where you, from where you are to where you want to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really about failing fast and and learning the lessons along the way. (laughs) Yeah, very literally. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about it. When you think back on your experiences growing up that really helped shape you to be who you are today, what stands out to you as a defining moment that really helped you find your roar? Yeah. So early in my career, I had the opportunity to visit 36 countries before the age of 30 as a global IT manager at a multinational tech firm. Wow. And in that experience, I felt like they gave me the luxury of a PhD in the world because I got to be immersed, truly immersed in different cultures. We had employees all over the world and people were really gracious with their time and would take me to local restaurants and and having some of those more intimate experiences of how people truly live globally. But when I would go back at the end of the day to my business hotels that I was staying at, it wasn't uncommon for me to be mistaken as a flight attendant or somebody that's just part of the airline industry. And Mm -hmm. so I saw a lot of my male peers behaving very naturally because they weren't concerned about any of their equivalents noticing some poor choices in their behavior of Mm. paying for company at night. So, you know, it started with noticing like young girls on men's laps in the lobby while they're having business meetings, expanded past that into a trip that I took to Malaysia where I saw a girl that's younger than my elementary school age daughter dressed like the character from Pretty Woman available for sale at bar at midnight being walked around by an adult female. And there's just some things you can't unsee. And so it really planted a seed in me, a passion that when I got to a senior enough place in my career to take action, that was going to be a significant priority for me. Yeah. And I know that has been right. I mean, that's where 
you and I got a chance to connect at Intel, right? When you were working on a just an amazing project that really was focused on doing good in the world and doing good for kids, making sure kids were out of harm's way and, and really helping find those kids that may have been lost, you know, gone missing or whatever the case may be. And I want to talk about that, right? Because that was just a phenomenal project. And I just remember being drawn to it and the impact that technology can have on that. And we'll talk about that because as we begin to move into just your career journey, right? Because you've had an amazing career journey in tech that I think leveraged your engineering background, but also leveraged your passion. Even the moment that you just described, I think really was kind of a North Star for you in terms of where you wanted to leverage your passion and drive impact. And now you're an entrepreneur. So maybe talk a little bit about what inspired you to start your personal journey to become a business owner and maybe even take us back to a little bit on some of the things you've done in your career. Sure. So with that in mind, especially the work that we did together at Intel Lakeisha, you were key in in getting the executive awareness of that program. Thank you. Not all people are fortunate enough to be born into a functional family. And when I returned to the tech industry after having my own children, I just felt like, what's the point of getting to a level of success if you're not doing something to create a voice for the voiceless? Mm -hmm. And in most places in the global world, that's women and children. Mm -hmm. So I had hit some of the check marks on the traditional success ladder as a director of revenue for a $6 billion profit and loss center. But I was lacking that mission that I needed to feel satisfied in how I was spending my time in my career. So in 2016, I took on a side project and worked with some innovative startups and nonprofits that were focusing in on disrupting the $150 billion industry of human trafficking. And I found some significant satisfaction in bringing technology to bear for these vulnerable populations. So in the project that you referenced, we worked over the course of 2017 with a team of data scientists and engineers from Intel in partnership with Google and Microsoft and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in order to work to accelerate the coordinated national response from tech companies to law enforcement of online child abuse material from 30 days to 24 hours. Wow. And when we deployed that, that satisfaction of knowing that we did technology, we did cutting edge things, we collaborated We rose to the occasion and did our best. I just couldn't go back to being satisfied selling servers for server's sake. Mm -hmm. It just, I needed more than that. And when you look at human trafficking as a whole, as an industry, it's larger than the NFL and casinos and profit combined. This is not a small problem in the world. And approximately 200,000 of those victims in the U.S. alone are children. And this is an area that I knew needed more attention, more innovation, more funding, more collaboration, more supports. And it just felt like the time was right to take some of those sales and marketing skills that I had honed over the years and apply them to something that really touched my soul and felt personal. Uh, Even though I have zero problems in my history of sexual abuse, it's not something I've experienced in my life. Mm -hmm getting to a place of power and authority, it was important to me to not only focus on the problems that have already been looked at, but to shift the attention and change the conversation to the bigger issues that I really cared about. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. This is definitely, you know, just a huge issue to your point that we all need to be leaning in on. And I, I love your, your perspective of it's going to take all of us. It's not just technology companies, it's law enforcement. We've seen a lot of the stars in Hollywood lean in on this. Everyone understands the importance of our children and making sure that they have a safe place to be, safe place to lay their head, and they're and they're reconnected with families. So just thank you so much for your effort in that space. And I know that, you know, your 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 passion there that was sparked, gosh, a number of years ago on a business trip, your work in this space in corporate America, and then you you transitioned to business ownership. Talk a little bit about how you leveraged your passion to really move into a space of not just success in your work life, but significance. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. In hindsight, I recognize over the years, I've often acted as an entrepreneur. I was Mm -hmm. always drawn to the job that I was uniquely qualified to do, the broken places, the really tough tasks that Mm -hmm. needed a lot of leadership and vision. If a job could be done just as well by 20 other people, I usually wasn't all that interested in it. (laughs) Right. Um, So I think that's what pulled me into this space as I'd seen such amazing innovation using technologies like artificial intelligence to innovate in the healthcare industry and really apply data for good for the benefit of humanity and Mm -hmm. all of our legacies. And I thought, huh, what if we could take some of the trends of social and mobile and cloud and some of these innovations and breakthroughs we're making in personalized cancer treatments in the medical field and apply those in the domain that I I thought really could use an opportunity to have better tools uh, to support law enforcement. Wonderful, wonderful. And so, you know, as you looked at that, right, I mean, and again, I think you said you had the mindset of not just being an employee, but being an entrepreneur (laughs) and an entrepreneur, right? Those are things that uh, really spoke to who you were. What shifts did you have to make from a mindset perspective to transition from employee to entrepreneur inside of a company and then entrepreneur to your owning your own business? Yeah, that was definitely a shift that my community helped me make. I view myself as a fairly risk-adverse person. I never saw myself in the startup community. Growing up in the Midwest, that mm-hmm. wasn't a super common path that I saw people trudge through. But fortunately for me, I have a really supportive husband and he happened to grow up in Silicon Valley. And so he noticed some things in me that maybe I didn't notice in myself about my ability to lead in this space. I also had a community of people that I collaborated with on the project that we talked about for Intel that also knew enough about me and my ability to really follow through on things. I think there's a lot of great thinkers that want to do companies, but sometimes there's a lack of doers. And Mm -hmm. I had the reputation of actually following through. (laughs) So there were some angel investors that were willing to make some big bets on me. And that really helped to get over the ledge. But ultimately, what I can say is it was in a mentor meeting with a, a longtime mentor of mine. And he asked me one of the most important questions anybody ever did, which is, if I'm at your funeral and you didn't try this, are you satisfied? Mm, Wow. And he goes, even if it failed, are you satisfied with that choice? And it it was just instinctual to know, absolutely. I would not be satisfied if I didn't at least try. And so I had that, that kind of pushed my momentum forward. The other advice I got from a friend was, you do realize you have 25 more years to work. (laughs) 
And I'd only worked 20 years at that point. So I was like, if I'm not going to make the shift now, when am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. I I mean, I knew I was on the path to burnout. (laughs) I knew that I had more expertise in this area than most people in the world. In fact, I had made the top 100 human trafficking and slavery disruptors list globally that year. I knew that I understood a lot about the emerging technologies of artificial intelligence. I had been a solution owner for a multinational company. So mm-hmm. it just felt like, if not me, then who? Yeah. If not now, then when, right? I think is what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in 2019, there were 65 million images reported to law enforcement of online child sexual abuse material. And mm-hmm. that's a nice way of saying documentation of crime scene photos. Mm-hmm. As a mom, as a tech insider, and as a human, that just wasn't a status quo that I could stand for. Absolutely. And so I'm eternally grateful for all the people that helped me to make the online lives of digital natives safer. And that was the mission of Minor Guard, our company, and the reason I did it. Absolutely. So talk about so your company a little bit, right? Because most of the time when we think about entrepreneurship, to your point, uh, people are risk averse. They don't want to jump in. They think high startup costs, finding the right you know people to help you come alongside you and your vision, all the risk. How did you navigate that to a successful company? What were a couple of things that you did to, to jump in and feel like, hey, I can swim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as with most things in my life, I tend to jump and then figure out how to tread water. So I entered my CEO journey to solve a problem with technology, but it became uh-huh. very quickly in my area of awareness that I was really entering a school of hard knocks version of an MBA in order to effectively <laughs> lead a company. <laughs> so the largest shift that I made getting into the mindset of an entrepreneur and out of the mindset of an employee was really shifting my focus from what I was trying to accomplish, which was disrupting human trafficking, and onto what the company's needs were in the early stages. So I got promoted in, on day one to head of IT, head of legal, <laughs> head janitor, head of fundraising, and head of product development. You just have to be really broad in mm-hmm. order to succeed. and. You have to take on things that maybe were just magically handled for you working in mm-hmm. a larger place. And I've really learned to appreciate lawyers. I like them much better when I don't have to pay them hundreds of dollars an hour, personally. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wouldn't trade that hard knocks MBA for anything. I consider it tuition. It was mm-hmm. the most growth I've experienced as a leader over the course of 12 months by far throughout my career journey. And I've had some pretty strong stretch goals in the past and it was the best way to learn. Wow. Love that. Love that. You know, what are some of the key characteristics that you believe one must possess uh, or build the muscle to become a successful entrepreneur? You talked a little bit about the willingness to fail for sure. Yeah. I think tenacity is somewhere in there. Grit. (laughs) Yes. Definitely a curiosity in you. I think Being a lifelong learner helps a lot. There's a lot of reading and podcasts and classes I took just to round myself out in places that were blind spots to me. Being able to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I built a board early. I consulted them often. I don't, I think it's a myth that anybody accomplishes big things alone. We have this idea in American culture of this like 
entrepreneur that just starts a company and runs it to be Mark Zuckerberg. When you really look at the successful entrepreneurs out there, most don't fit that template. The most successful entrepreneurs today are actually around 45 when they start Mm -hmm. and have a little bit more experience to to go on for taking the right risks. (laughs) Absolutely. So I think that there's no exact characteristics. Everybody plays to their strengths as they begin this journey for themselves. But I do think that being persistent, being curious, and being an avid reader definitely help. Absolutely. And I mean, I know success, you know, is not a solo sport, right? And I know you have a very supportive husband and quite a few other people that have come alongside you. So talk about really how, what role they played that really helped contribute to your success in business. Sure. So first and foremost, I want to call out to my chairman of my board, my first angel investor, and my longtime mentor, Greg Deshmaker, for asking me the tough questions that I referenced earlier and funding mm-hmm. the vision for Minor Guard. Secondly, my C- chief operating officer, Hamidul Hassan, quit Apple right after the iPhone 10 launched to wow. help lead this with me. Mm-hmm. He had a big job to play there and a lot of opportunity. And he was willing to walk away because he was invigorated by this vision. Love it. My other board members, Ray Bryant, Bob Rogers, Paige Johnson, for really helping me to roll out my blind spots on entrepreneurship, being a first-time founder, on the disruptive technology we're developing, and also the industry perspective. Uh, Having that K-12 education focus was incredibly helpful that Paige brought to the table. So having a, a rounded board and then also a board of advisors that really helped me to keep in step with what was possible and what was not possible, leveraging artificial intelligence and software companies in the wild. So I had folks from Google and Microsoft and Apple and Intel and all the big companies uh, there as my guardrails to make sure I wasn't going too far off the reservation of what was actually feasible, (laughs) which I was grateful for. Yeah. And then my leadership team, uh, my data scientist, Tiffany came on and she when we needed somebody to do marketing decks, she like pivoted into her fine arts background and created us some of the most beautiful slideware I've ever had the luxury of seeing. Or even our intern, Bailey, she was coming out of college as a romance languages major, and she literally rolled up her sleeves and learned Python over the summer. Wow. So. I love it. So success really is a team sport. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you get nowhere without executive sponsors. So I we would never have gotten off the ground without Lisa Davis that helped us socialize it across the company, Diane Bryant, who funded our early work, which allowed us to have those successes and bring those forward into being able to do a successful angel raise because we had already learned so much in this domain over the course of the year. Love it. Love it. So to that point, right, you talked about board of advisors being super critical, right? I mean, as as part of that, you know, cadre of, of folks that you leverage to kind of really build a successful business. And I know one of the many hats that you wear is that of an advisor to promising startups as well, as, as one would guess, um, because you've had such success with your board of advisors. Talk about how you became an advisor and what advice do you have for others who want to become an advisor or, or just really become a member of a, of a board? Yeah, so I started my board of directors journey uh, in the nonprofit world, which is pretty common for most people to have their first experience. And it's really wonderful to learn things like board governance and the functions of the board and the subcommittees and where you can add value. 
So I chose to do that with a human trafficking prevention and reintegration focused startup because that was an area that I wanted to make sure was a key focus for my contributions. I also have now joined an additional board in that space of nonprofits for the Sacramento Entrepreneurship Academy to give back to startup founders in our community. From the entrepreneurship boards that I play on, I'm an advisor for four different startups. I'm about to be elevated to the board of directors for the first of the private companies as they're accepting their Series A funding round. So I'm really looking forward to that opportunity experience. One is in the medical device industry. I consult for an HR startup company focused on finding the right people. I consult for another one that's focused on retaining the right people. Mm -hmm. And I also work in an ed tech uh, capacity for another corporation. I find advising to be really fun because you get to work directly with the entrepreneurs and you get to be their confidant and their support rails and their fast track to connections. And just really, I focus on working with diverse founders that need all the extra oomph they can get because I know what it feels like to be one. I aspire to get to a public board because those are great ways to hold large publicly traded companies uh, on the right track from Mm -hmm. a governance perspective. I have a background in AI ethics now that I've curated. And I think it's important as companies are looking at how do they do things with data that they are thinking through the long-term implications of what if the tools they develop are used for very different purposes. So I think I bring a lot of value there and helping with that risk category of governance as companies are taking, as everything is becoming a technology startup, uh, as everything's reinventing themselves because of the demands of the world we live in today. Yeah. And so for folks who are trying to get their feet wet or just at least their toe in the water um, to becoming an advisor or becoming a, you know, eventually the board of directors member, would you say starting off maybe in the nonprofit area to gain some experience? What what might advice would you give to to women or just people in general who are looking to move into that space and leverage the, the knowledge base and experience that they've gained in their respective careers? Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that Boards of director seats for public companies are well-compensated roles. Often they're a little bit harder to get than even a CEO role would be for that kind of company because they have the ability to fire the CEO as the board of directors. So it's really important to leverage your network and continue to build your skills over time Mm -hmm. to be ready for it. The best advice I got in terms of expectations is this is usually a five to six year journey to getting to a public board. So I think nonprofit is a great way to start. However, make sure that you are interviewing them as hard as they're interviewing you because you do bring on some liability as a director of the nonprofit. There are some insurance policies and you should always check if they have DNI insurance to make sure that you're covered. Personally, if something illegal happens under the hood of the organization, that's very important. I think in the startup community, after being a founder, it is a little easier to advise for companies. Although mm-hmm. if you have a if you have a strong network, if you have a strong brand, I find a lot of people are interested in working with you to make sure that you can help them scale. Like most leadership things anywhere in your career, when you focus on how to be a servant leader and how to how to help others accomplish their goals, 
when waters rise, all boats float. And I find a lot of people really reach out and want to work with you more closely when they see that you're really focused on helping them to succeed and not just on your own goals for yourself. Love it. That's so true. That's so true. Appreciate that perspective. And again, you know, you have had a successful career, still in entrepreneurship. And so I can't imagine being a mom and a wife and 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 just really trying to balance it all. And it's always and a management hard. consultant. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, there's some more hats I know that I did not articulate for certain because that's, you know, many times, you know, we think we're super women in a good way, right? Because we just want to be a person that can really add value and help others. And I know that's really who you are at your core. Any phone call, any email, you'll take it. And you're always saying, how can I help? That's just always what I've just been so amazed by. Every conversation I have with you is, Lakeisha, how can I help you? And so through it all. But to be clear, I qualified you up front as somebody that I respect and admire and want to spend my time with. I don't act that way with everyone. I try to make sure that I reach down to the next generation that are coming to need guidance. I look up to the people I respect and admire and would like to be like. You're in that category. And I look sideways to see who are the cohorts I want to spend my time with. But that doesn't mean that you say yes to the world all the time because every yes you say to the world is a no to you you say to yourself or your family. And I've made the mistake of only coming home with scraps before. And I do guard those things more carefully and more intentionally than I did in the past. So, so well put, so well put. No, and I, and I thank you so much. That means so much to me. Just, it's a mutual admiration society and you know that, but I I love (laughs) the advice that you just said there. Okay. Because I think for us super women who, you know, I'm joking a bit, but you know, us who really, the folks who truly want to make an impact in people's lives, sometimes we have to say no. And let me get you connected to Bob Marriott's soup. And we don't always do that, right? And so that's that's really what you're saying. So talk a little bit about how you, maybe your learnings over the years to even come to that statement, because that was so powerful what you said. Love that. Yeah, I think my biggest career mistake was not recognizing the signs of burnout sooner Mm. as I was planning my path forward to pivot from focusing on success to significance in my career. Mm -hmm. I got so far out of whack with my own needs as a human that I found myself working on a morphine drip in the hospital after a back injury. Wow. I had a really hard time creating those boundaries in my work life since my day job paid the bills. Mm -hmm. And then my nights and weekends were for the extra work that I took on because of my mission and my passion. And oh yeah, by the way, I had a couple elementary school age children and I was working in a pretty heavy space of the darkest corners of the internet. And Mm -hmm. eventually that injury, the pressure, the lack of wellness practices, the lack of boundaries really pushed me over the edge into some PTSD from being on the front lines of the victim stories Mm -hmm. year after year. So although I I have not been a victim of this kind of crime, uh, vicarious trauma is a real thing. And so I learned that I needed to put in daily wellness practices to keep me safe, to hold boundaries. I got a puppy so that I have to walk him every day. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I do a meditation practice that I I share with my children now because I get a little bit lazy about it sometimes, but I don't get lazy for things for them. So we can both benefit from it. I am really clear with people when things go from being something that I would love to help with, but are going to trigger me that where my boundary line is and what I can and can't help them with. And 
I think, you know, it's really important as humans to remember that our worth is not on the line every day. We don't earn more love from the universe and we don't lose love if we aren't our best all the time. And just slowing down and getting in touch with your own instincts, your own, what, what lifts your energy, what depletes your energy and spending your time, the majority and the lion's share of your time and the things that lift your energy, I find just creates so much abundance in terms of the impact that you can have in your career, in your life, in your family. I'm, I'm pretty intentional about cutting out things that drain me. And I wouldn't say that I figured that out until probably being the business owner. Because you can't do everything. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because something is going to break. And no, thank you for sharing that. Super important, super helpful. I and mean, just reminding us that, uh, you know, we're not superhuman. We're human, but not superhuman. <laughs> yeah. And nobody, nobody has to do everything for the world. Like, mm-hmm. do your thing. <laughs> I love Whatever that. you are uniquely meant to do. Focus there. Wow. Powerful. So talk about, speaking of that, right? I mean, we've talked about, you know, thriving in disruptive environments, learning to thrive in a disruptive economy, and really sparking your passion and following it. What advice do you have for founders and entrepreneurs who wanting to do just that, you know, follow their passion and the things that, that they can offer to the universe? What tips would you have for business owners who, folks who want to go into business, uh, current business owners, and maybe folks who are struggling a little bit in business? To catch everybody up on what happened with the journey of Minor Guard, it's been a few years since we launched the product roadmap for the company. We did a, a transition in, of the product roadmap into Bark Technologies, which was a bigger player in the market. And they were able to build out a solution in partnership with Lenovo that scales the image blocking technology for inappropriate photos on Chromebooks uh, into schools in 2020. So personally, I've been selected to do a TEDx talk on AI for disrupting human trafficking in the digital age in the spring of 2021, which I'm excitedly preparing for. And in the midst of creating all of that uh, focus and content and telling that story, I decided to partner with a fellow software startup founder, friend of mine, Emily Kennedy, where we've taken the best of what we've learned in the trenches and created our Entrepreneurship 101 Mm e-course. It's a five-episode course that gives a really succinct and easy way to follow the the critical fundamentals of business. Neither one of us were experienced founders when we launched our companies. And at this point, Emily's on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. I've been on stage at South by Southwest. We've we've had some of those big watershed moments. Mm -hmm. So we really wanted to focus on how do we inspire others that are at that tipping point in the second mountain of their career, perhaps like me, that want to go focus from focusing on success to significance, or people that reflect more Emily's style of coming out of college with a really clear vision of what she wanted to accomplish and turning that into a DARPA contract and a successful company that uses has software that's used by law enforcement all over the world to recover victims. We wanted to give two different approaches and for lots of different people that are at different stages of their life on how they pursue a business that makes a positive impact. Wow, that is amazing. So you you guys have created a course. We did. Yeah, we, we're living in the, the post-COVID world. So we went to an e-course format. We tried to keep everything 20 minutes or less for the lessons. Mm-hmm. We give worksheets so people can work out their own vision and 
you know, stop burning time and energy bouncing around the web doing investigations on where to get started. We didn't want people to have confusion what to do first or next. And we wanted them to have the confidence of having a Slack community with us um, to help be in their corner as they're figuring out whether they can make their dreams a reality in their day to day. Wow, it sounds like an amazing course, really, for anyone, whether they're in the entrepreneurship space today or really working in a corporate environment. Because I think with everything that's happening, to your point, even in corporate America, you almost have to have that entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship mindset to drive large scale transformation and growth these days. So, love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, especially as women during the results of this once in a hundred year event that we're all living through. Forbes did a recent article uh, and it shared that one in four women are thinking about starting their own business post-pandemic and 61% of women are focusing on a major career shift as a result of this new world we live in. So we really wanted to launch our company, Spark Passion, launch our entrepreneurship one-on-one courses. We'll be recording the next series of courses by the end of the year, focusing in on pre and post-seed founders and and really help people get the fast track to launching independence and innovation and being the leader that they've been looking for as a role model. Because I think we all have the ability to create that that next role model for the next generation. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, I've got a fun round of questions I want to get to, but before I do that, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience that you haven't shared yet? Ooh. Well. <laughs> I think that, I guess I'll just give a little bit more information about our class. We build it Spark Passion. It's less than $50 and an hour commitment. And we can help with free resources to launch your business, find your customers, build your minimum viable product without coding it, and preventing burnout with community and wellness practices. So people can grab more information about me at my website, www.lisathee.com. That's L-I-S-A-T-H-E-E.com. I'm sure you have some show notes you can share. Yes. And you can get our free class that we put out for anybody that wants free resources for how to start a business. And we just want to get the word out that if you're one of those 61% that are planning that major career change, there's resources for you from people that have been through the journey ahead of you and can be a support and make you feel less isolated. I love that. I love that. Community is key for sure. So talk a little bit about, I'm going to jump in and really say a word or phrase, and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. What's your favorite food? (laughs) Well, my husband has me on a clean eating plan. So right now, all I can eat, think, and dream about is pizza. One day soon, I will be eating pizza. It's been off the list for a couple of weeks. I love that pizza. I know you're you're counting down the days, but being Mm -hmm. very focused in this one, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) What's your guilty pleasure if you have one? Oh, junkie TV. Like if it's on Bravo and it's reality television and it makes me just a little bit stupider by the end of it, I love (laughs) it. I work in such heavy topics most of my days. I advise technology and healthcare startups on how to use data for good. And so that brings me into a lot of digital safety work, as well as, you know, innovation in healthcare and preventing um, bad things from happening. So I really like to keep it light in my off time. I know what you mean. Laughter is a cure for everything. Almost anyway. What's your favorite book you're reading right now? 
I am reading The Lost Symbol by Dan Brown. Hmm. It is the same author that did Angels and Demons and The Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. And so what I like about his writing style is the mysteries just make me turn the pages quick. And then the historical elements of the fiction make me really curious about different places in the world. So when I read The Da Vinci Code many moons ago, I took a trip to Rome and and looked at all the places he talked about in detail. And this one is set in Washington, D.C. So I look forward to the day when I can travel out there and, and look at some of the places he's referencing. Love it. Love it. And I know Bravo TV is a good one for you, but do you have a current Netflix addiction? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, The thing that I watched most recently on Netflix that really stuck with me was the documentary, The Social Dilemma. Mm. I thought that was really interesting, especially being an insider. It's nice that they are making this information more generally available to the public so people can make informed decisions. I made my children watch it with me. They're eight and nine. Can you imagine those poor kids? (laughs) And I asked (laughs) my, my son a week later said to me, mommy, how big do you think my digital twin is? (laughs) And how big do you think yours is? And then he like paused and he goes, I think yours is way bigger than mine because I don't put my private things on the internet. <laughs> wow. I love it. Super smart. Right. See, they were really, listening. Right. Yeah. So as a longtime volunteer for the center for humane technology, which was one of the major uh, people that were highlighted in the documentary, it was neat to see um, Tristan Harris out there helping to make more people aware of some of the places we really need to focus. I think. Uh, I know that's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and the things are doing to draw our attention to social media. <laughs> yeah, cars were on the road for 20 years before anybody thought to put a seatbelt in them. You, eventually, you have enough car crashes where you go, huh, we might want to put in some regulation around this. And I, I think we're at a tipping point uh, where there's some opportunity for government to help uh, put some guardrails in on, on the tech industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. I'm definitely going to pick that one up on Netflix. I haven't seen it. Yeah, but thinking about dream vacations when we can travel, what's on your list next? Dream vacations. I just applied for German citizenship. So oh, wow. my hope is that when it comes through in 18 to 24 months that I can travel through Europe with my family uh, and visit some of the places that are in our heritage Yes, reconnect with an old friend who... I spent my sabbatical with you. You worked at Intel, so you had the sabbatical days. So I spent mm-hmm. three weeks in Munich with her on my first sabbatical from Intel. And I haven't seen her since I was 29. So it'd be really wonderful to catch up. Oh, and wow. Love her that. take us around because she does month long tours for high school and college students of Europe. So I know that she would mm-hmm. put something amazing together for us. It sounds wonderful. And I love that, right? Just reconnecting to your heritage and just having your kids really experience uh, places outside the U.S. I know you guys travel a lot, but just spending time in Europe would be amazing. Yeah. I I mean, a dream come true, really. Wonderful. Well, I have enjoyed catching up and really sharing you with the audience. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for sharing all the ways that we can stay connected with you. And I continue to do the same. I, obviously, I continue to follow you. I'm excited about the Entrepreneurship 101 course. 
I'm signing up for that. So thank you so much for doing that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lakeisha. It's such a pleasure to be able to spend time with you. I respect and admire you so much. And I know your followers listen to you because you represent what we all want to see in the world, which is talent and bold leadership and a diverse point of view. And you're just a role model to so many. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you so much. And again, all that you're doing in the world. And just, I'm just excited, right? Just a, the opportunity to, to share again, a female founder who is really finding ways to share your knowledge with other women and men, of course, who have that dream, to have that goal, who have the passion, but need to understand how to fuel it and how to fuel it in a way that they can become successful. So thank you for all that you're doing. Let's get, let's get together soon. Hopefully soon, as soon as this coronavirus is over, we're together. I would love that. <laughs> That'd be great. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Roar. Tune in next time for more awesome talks with people at the top. Don't forget to subscribe and share so you're the first to know when our newest episodes are available. Until next time.